Mainstream media is dominated by the right and the left. The majority in the middle are left without a voice. You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. All right, I've got him. I've I've captured the elusive Chad Chaddington. Uh, he's got a video program platform. Um, I found him on Odyssey. I believe he's on a few different platforms. But in terms of somebody who's gone down the rabbit hole, uh, somebody who stands behind what they find uh, in their research and trying to help others uh, follow behind leaving breadcrumbs, um, this guy, I appreciate him. Not afraid to speak on difficult topics. He's always... um, investigating in the matrix trying to figure out who's behind what and uh here he is chad chaddington can you tell first off chad chaddington is not your name where the heck did you come up with that well uh it's nice to talk to you jay i've been trying to get you to do this for a little while now since we initially made contact so um hopefully that can give something good for the audience on both sides you know some uh, different perspectives from each of us um, yeah, it's kind of like a pseudonym that I use. Uh, my real name is Corey, but I don't really try to get credit, you know, for anything that I do as far as like under my real name. Um, I prefer it's more like a brand, almost like uh, the Chad Chaddington sort of evokes like a meme, you know, it makes people think of, you know, certain funny things, which I try to incorporate, you know, sort of with my attitude and how I approach things where it's just, I confront them head on, and I don't try to skirt around things. I just say, well, this is an issue I want to talk about. And this is something I'm going to investigate. And let's just see what happens. Let, let the chips fall where they may. And it's sort of like an attitude, almost as much as a pseudonym. Yeah, okay, I get that. I've been I've been trying to be more open to people using pseudonyms or um, hiding behind a cloak of anonymity um, for a long, I mean, my whole life on social media, I've always gone by my real name, and I, and I think that that holds power um, when I speak or when I uh, stand. There's a real person behind it, and I've been starting to understand um, cloaks of anonymity. Um, as you just put it, a pseudonym, you're not afraid to be Corey. Um, you just enjoy uh, the meme because you want to, it sounds like you want to take yourself out of the research and you always try to um, disseminate your your investigate, your lines of investigation without maybe a, a, a personality trying to become a star. Is that is that another way of saying what you just put? Oh yeah, absolutely. I I would not want to be a star. I don't want to be famous. I <laughs> I have horrible social anxiety in in real life, so it's like, you know, I guess being able to do what I do sort of allows me to relax a little bit more, you know. Yeah. And uh I don't know. It's just how I prefer it, but I've thought about, you know, getting a video camera and doing that whole thing too. So, I could change things up as I go, who knows. Yeah, life life uh the future is an empty uh storybook uh waiting for us to write. Um, or with my experiences I've received recently, uh, perhaps destiny is real, real, and we have no free will. I don't know. I'm. I always live life. I've been saying lately. Um, almost everything is these two extremes, and the answers are always in that gray in the middle. Um, now, one thing that really caught my eye with you that I appreciate because I'm an entrepreneur is. You've taken, sure, you're down the rabbit hole and you're investigating and you're doing these things, but you also are trying to build something that you you view is helpful to society. You're trying to create something um, that is unique. Could you tell us about Clown World Dating, how you came, how you came to that idea and what where you're at in this monumental task of taking uh, an idea like that uh, and trying to make it come to fruition in this in this marketing world where little guys and, and ideas get stamped out quickly. You know, t- tell us a little bit about Clown World Dating. Yeah, um, absolutely. So it started as an idea. I've been pretty active in the truth community, I guess you could call it. I sometimes hate that term, but uh, I use it as like a catch-all phrase, like truth community, truther. 
Um, some other people might use other different terms, Patriot Network, whatever. Um, but I started off about 10 years ago getting into, you know, sort of conspiracies, investigating how the world really works after I had my eyes kind of opened. Um, and I had the idea for like a conspiracy theory you know, theorist dating site, but I figured it was too niche at the time. You know, it was one of those things that I thought might be a good idea, but would never be like something viable or practical you could put out there. Um, and as the years have gone by, I've just noticed clown world is the best way I've heard describe it, where things are just absolutely insane. It seems like uh, people are going from one extreme to another. Like you said, uh, truth usually resides somewhat in that gray area between the two extremes. Um, and it's one of those things where everything just seems to be going crazy. Everyone's losing their mind. And I wanted to provide sort of a refuge for that. So people who can think for themselves and people who aren't looking for an NPC, um, if your viewers aren't familiar with the term, it's like a non-playing character. Like if you're playing a video game, it'd be a background character that's only programmed to do certain things, not really deviate from that. You know, They're just sort of following a script. Um, and I find most people they can talk, but they don't have much to say, you know, they just kind of, they watch Netflix, they, they drink beer, they go to work, they come home, they do the same thing all the time, but they're not really looking inward. They're not really trying to understand how the world works. They don't really have any questions or, you know, I don't know. It's, it seems like most people now they're just sort of robots. They can't think for themselves. And I wanted to give a place where people can meet each other and sort of expand and create their own network of people you know, my, my um, ambition with this ha happens to be romantic, but, you know, I could do a social media thing on the side, which I actually have plans for, um, for just people who want to get together, but don't necessarily, you know, need to date someone or look for romance. They just want to form a network of people who they sort of agree with. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at right now with it. I'm actually revamping it. Uh, excuse me, my mouth is kind of dry, actually revamping it right now to relaunch it this uh, coming month in February with a lot of improvements. The aesthetics are going to be better, the user interface, everything's going to be completely overhauled. So if you are on it right now, just bear with me, all the glitches and things will be taken care of. But it's just a matter of getting capital and getting the idea out there and getting support for it. So I, I sorry, think... that was such a long winded answer. No, <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I think it's commendable. I, I really do to take on a large idea like that, um, that you created in your head and then to try to manifest it in the, in the matrix. It's, it's kind of amazing and, and you should be commended for your efforts. And as I found, um, 20 some odd years ago when I started my entrepreneurial adventure that the thing I thought I was going to be doing two decades later wasn't the thing. But the, but the, the way I started on that adventure allowed me to find those things. If you catch my drift, you don't, I think that's one of the first things I said to you was this might not be the idea, but just starting this idea may take you um, to the right idea. And, you know, it's all a process and you're, and you're right. Most people don't, they have the idea, but they don't take step one and you can't take step two unless you take step one. And how are you supposed to get to step 1000 if you never take step one through 10? And so I'm, I, you know, it's admirable what you're doing and I wish you nothing but the best to execute your idea and put it out there. Um, the NPC, uh, non-player character, that that could not have been exposed more than from this um, COVID situation that we've found ourselves in um, the last two years. And oh, absolutely! I've been I've been saying to people, you know, can't you see it? And they, you know, then they they throw the virtue signaling out. Um, it really got people to operate in quote unquote lockstep. Um, and you and people in our audience might get that um, analogy. But it's it's troubling because it's so important being a human is to think for yourself and to um, be able to have ideas. You know, even the word science has been flipped on its head where everyone is just supposed to follow the science and they don't understand what science is. Science is always challenged. It's always thinking. It's always in search for uh, truth in some ways. Science is a truther movement at heart. And uh, that 
just the way that they've flipped narratives, uh, redefined words on the fly, the way uh, it's so troubling the way people haven't seen it. Um, you, you are an interesting person. Um, I, some would say you're down farther down the rabbit hole than I am. I, I almost ca- would call you an extreme skeptic. Um, how hard is it? I, another person that I would think of that's kind of in your line of thinking would be Whitney Webb. Okay, she is this hardcore investigator, this warrior for um, getting the word out, deep researches. Um, she looks into platforms and organizations. Um, I've had Johnny Vedmore on. He looks into people and, and investigates those threads. Um, you just kind of look at the world with this skeptical lens and then share, um, share your investigative um, techniques and your opinions and kind of just point to the evidence. How, how do you refer to yourself? How do you, how do you find any kind of positivity when you're uh, constantly seeing the corruption around you? Well, see, it's one of those things that I've struggled with for a while. Um, I've, I, I wouldn't say I'm a pessimist necessarily, but I am one of those guys who I don't just take what people tell me at face value. I've never been that way. Um, until I did join the military and I went to Afghanistan, that was kind of the situation, I would say maybe the catalyst for my awakening, um, where I saw how things really worked versus how it was portrayed in the media versus what we're told by politicians and, you know, all things like that. I just said, oh, wow, they're just completely lying to us. What else are they lying about? Um, and then you go down uh, infinite and um, infinite amount of rabbit holes, you know, like, oh, is the earth flat? Oh, what are they putting in our water? Oh, is it you know, reptilian space overlords or all this other nonsense. But I I don't think I'm like a pessimist necessarily. I definitely am skeptical because I just feel like if it's, they lied to us once, you know, why wouldn't they lie to us again? Like same thing with Pfizer. That's a great example. One of the companies that's paid more in fines uh, for criminal activities than a lot of companies have even ever made in profit. You know, people are now trusting them with something to put in their body that they don't even really know what it is um, because someone might've offered them a Krispy Kreme donut perhaps, or, you know, a bag of weed and said, Hey, get this experimental shot. Um, People just seem to trust them, even though all they've ever offered you is lies. So it's like, I guess I don't like to take what I'm told at face value, Uh, but it can be, you know, you can go off into the extreme end where you're like, well, everything's a conspiracy and I can't, which I try to avoid, but it is hard to get, out of that mindset, that doomer type of mindset, they call it. Um, because I don't want to demoralize anybody. Yeah, I don't want people to think there's no hope. Um, but I just, I, I guess I'm skeptical by nature. And it's it's difficult sometimes to try and balance that out with being more positive and trying to push people in the right direction and find solutions to not just point problems out, but find solutions to those problems. Yes. Because that's the most important part, you know? Yes, absolutely. And, and uh, it it's very respectable that you think like that. Um, I can't stand, and and it's on television a lot. Just just they, you turn on the news, whether it's Fox, and it's just yammer, 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 complain, complain, complain. They fire people up, they spin people up with the cultural uh, uh, left-right paradigm of the day. Um, a couple questions from what you said. First, I want to back you up. I believe Pfizer um, has the record for the largest payout of a fine, or there, there's there's some something there that you can probably speak on. Um, just haven't they paid, uh, what's the words I'm looking for, the largest fine ever? Um, was was it antitrust? Was it uh, medical? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I'm actually going to look it up real quick. Um, I think it was $2.3 billion, it says, for illegal marketing and off-use drug label case. So, um, so to your point, it's like, these are the kings, the literal kings of being of of wronging humanity, and they've just paid money. Like, oh, okay, we'll put that in the marketing budget, two point three billion dollars. You know, we'll we'll make some adjustments so we have to pay less next time. Um, yeah. And you don't see you don't see um, any sort of humanity come through these large corporate um, entities, and that's I think that's uh, one of my. Uh, biggest um, points of depression with society is the way that we have allowed corporate structure um, to take away the voice of people and how weak need people are within those corporate structures to instill their values. 
And I don't mean, you know, the culture war values that you hear every day, but just the values of right and wrong. It seems like uh, this economic matrix system has have taken that away. There's just common sense uh, doing good. Um, we've we've kind of lost that attachment to humanity. I do I do want to go back to your Afghanistan experience. Um, can you give me an example? Can you give us an example of uh, what you mean by you got over there, you saw what was going on firsthand, and you saw how much it was being lied about, and just the the um, the lens that was created in the way that society was viewing Afghanistan versus the way you saw it. Yeah. So um, the second part of my deployment, I went to the capital of Afghanistan. I was in Kabul. So this was in 2011. No, 2000. I can't even think anymore. I'm like, it's been 10 years. Yeah, 2011 to 2012, March to March. So the second half of my deployment, I was in the capital. I was at, they call it HQ ISAF. So it was like where all the brass, all the officers and all that were. Um, and I drove around a lot of people like VIP clients and things like that. And we had these people, CIA agents, mostly we would call them secret squirrels. That was like the nickname we gave them. Um, if you remember that old cartoon, I, I don't know if it was Rocky and Bullwinkle or whatever, do you know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We, uh, we gave them a nickname, secret squirrels. And sometimes they would talk to you when you're like driving them around, they wouldn't give you too many details of things, but like you'd catch things here and there. And sometimes you'd be like, wait a second that makes me think of something else that, wait, if that's true, then like you just kind of have these thoughts run through your head and you'll go back after you're done for the day and you'll go on the computer and start researching things. Um, and I had one guy, there was a CIA like holdout in Kabul and basically it was like a safe house, right? So we would bring them there and they told me, they're like, oh, we got to give a delivery of money to the Taliban so they don't attack us. And I was thinking in my head, I'm like, wait, what do you mean give them money? I'm like, you know where they are and you know who they are. Why don't you just kill them or arrest them or whatever? And he's like, oh, that's not how it works. He's like, we pay them so they don't attack us, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, well, that literally makes no sense. Like we're, if we're fighting a war against the Taliban, supposedly, and Al-Qaeda and all this, why are we giving them money? And that was like the biggest thing that woke me up over there. Um, and also there was this other instance where we had, it's like a equivalent of the DEA, but for Canada. I don't know exactly what they were called. Um, but I was driving around one day and he was telling me about how it was his job to oversee the protection of like poppy fields and things like that. Um, and I had heard that from other people too, you know, and I was just like, oh, okay, you know, I guess I can see that, you know, uh, maybe they want to have something to export, you know, I don't know. I, I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. And then the more I got into it and you look into like the heroin trade and you look into like the, the what is it, the Spackler family, you look into the BCCI banking scandal, um, you know, Iran Contra, all this other stuff, all the things the government has used money and drugs to fund. It's like, why wouldn't they use this also? Um, so then you look into that and then you're like, oh, since we've invaded Afghanistan, you know, heroin deaths are up this percent. I can't even remember the exact number, uh, no, but it's something it's, insane. It's, it's huge. It's it's called the opioid crisis. We all, we exactly. all see that. It's just people have a tough time um, drawing that line from one dot to the other. And you, you got to see firsthand that, that there, there could be a line connecting those dots. Even if you only saw one part of it and it may be gray, um, why aren't people investigating more? And, and in, people in the know, why aren't they speaking out more? So we've, we've gone through two situations there that have major impacts on society in America, and it clearly shows um, liars, liars and strange um, motives at the heart of it, and yet people are, are, are taught that um, our healthcare industry and the pharmaceutical companies behind it are trying to help us. Um, people have the um, misguided belief that um, the people in the government are trying to help us, and it's just these runaway entities um, that, that corruption has become so interwoven that it's it, we have to take it back. We have to tear it down, take it back. We have to um, speak up. One of the ways that I'll tell you that um, almost started this adventure for me a few years ago was where I started accepting responsibility. 
I um I used to always say, oh no no, uh, the American people are one thing and the government is another. You know, it was almost like this excuse, like oh no, uh, we're going to these wars. Oh, that's the government. That's not the American people. We we wouldn't do that. And I started just it came to this realization that that it's my fault that that I am the government. The government is me. That is our that is our tool. And we no longer should allow it to manipulate us. We were meant to manipulate it. And in the times I bought quads and went on quad adventures with my kids and and little vacations here and there, you know, at, at some point I was asleep. I was allowing the corruption to happen. And um, myself, I should have been more involved in my local community, my local government. I should have been holding people to task instead of like holding random truth seekers on in online platforms to task. I should have been directly <coughs> contacting my representatives to hold them to task. And it seeing it that way and taking responsibility um, really kind of started started these gears going of more becoming more of an activist in a participatory sense than a complainer on the sidelines. Oh, absolutely. We're all collectively responsible. That's the that's what I was telling you earlier about like complacency. It only takes, you know, good men to do absolutely nothing for evil to succeed because they're working overtime. They're organizing, they're doing everything they can to subvert us at every different level. You know, and it's like good people are just hoping that they can put their heads in the sand and it'll all go away. They don't want to get involved. They don't want to look inward. They don't want to take that responsibility. And, you know, that's one of the the things that I just can't stand. And that's why I hated things like uh, QAnon, because I thought, thought it was like a psyop to get people to, uh, you know, abdicate their ability to act to an unknown group of white hats. And it's like, you know, they did a really good job with taking what would have been maybe a really large group of people who would have actually done something to stand up for themselves and what they believe in, and maybe even pacified them to think, oh, someone's got it, someone's taking care of it behind the scenes, wink, wink, uh, Trump's playing 40 chess, all that stuff. Um, and I guess if people want to support Trump, that's fine. I, I'm not a political guy as far as supporting a candidate, but it's like, you know, just the complacency and things. People want to talk about how they believe this and that, but they don't actually want to act. They don't want to actually do anything that's going to take effort on their part. Um, they just want to jump onto a bandwagon somewhat, like, or post a meme or, you know, oh, I, I said, uh, let's go Brandon. You know what I mean? I did my part. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't agree with that attitude. I think we should be more proactive. We should, you know, meet up more in real life. We should form decentralized opposition. Um, don't communicate over phones, people. If you have to even meet up in person, pass hand exchange notes, you know, go somewhere where there's no technology if you're really that paranoid. But, it, you know, not everyone's a fed. Not everyone's out to get us. You know, that's right. I, I think memes like that, too, especially I, there's a there's a term. I can't remember what it's called. I, I heard it off 4chan. It's uh, it's like bad, bad jacketing, I think bad jacketing um, where they basically convince people that like what might be a grassroots, you know, led opposition to this type of tyranny is controlled by feds or it's infiltrated by feds. They try to demonize it to get people not to join it. Um, so it like defeats people mentally before they're even actually doing anything. They're like, oh, I'm not even going to join because it's just going to get subverted. Oh, I'm not going to do anything because it's just controlled by feds. It's. I think we need to, you know, defeat that mindset and we need to put the responsibility on ourselves. We have to look in the mirror and say, Am I doing everything I can? Am I? Because if I'm not, I can't expect others to do that. I can't expect others to do it for me. I can't ask anything of anyone else that I wouldn't do myself. Um, and I, I think that's sort of the problem is a lot of people, they're hypocritical. They, they want it, but they won't do it. Um, and like you said before, you know, the difference between an idea being an idea and becoming a reality is taking that first step to actually take the risk and say, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. Who knows if it's going to succeed? Even I might look like a total retard idiot. You know, pardon my language. I don't know what I'm allowed to say. Anyone who gets offended by the word retarded, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's like people don't want to take the risk. And it's like, just do it. And that's, the, you know, you, you got to be active. You got to take the responsibility. You got to be, you got to not be afraid to fail. And you got to be, you know, ready to succeed. Because that's the only way you'll succeed. 
Sorry again Uh, for the long-winded answer. (laughs) No, no, no. No need to apologize. Um, I think it's interesting. Um, Actually, recently, I finally came to the end of the QAnon rabbit hole, and that was quite an interesting discovery for me. Um, But one of the things that you said there was you were in Kabul at a very interesting time. Uh, We were employing, we the government, whatever, our three-letter agencies, again, we are responsible for them, and we need, um, we need to take back that responsibility. They, we were employing um, psychological operations um, heavily um, oh, at, yeah. at that time. And in oh, yeah. Hearts two, and minds, they call it. Yeah, 2012, um, uh, in the Obama administration, um, there was an adjustment made to the Smith-Munt Act, which allowed psychological operations to be deployed within the United States. Um, yep. And I believe uh, an organization called Threat Reduction, uh, some people might call it Threat Assessment, um, actually deployed um possibly tens of thousands of psyop agents across the country civilian psyop agents across the country and it's it's alarming to see what that has done to our society since and so terms like black jacketing like you just talked about where um you know it's basically a psychological operation to diminish any kind of grassroot effort that is real that's not conspiracy theory there there's an actual government organization started to do that work um and i've come across some of these agents recently in my travels and it's it's alarming to see how um they are able to act without humanity and i don't mean uh basically it's creating drama circles it's just creating these circle jerk drama circles i don't i haven't seen evidence of them hurting people or um doing anything um untoward in that way but they get people spun up following these rabbit holes and arguing sometimes i've seen these agents uh, uh basically controlled opposition where the whole point is just to create an argument within this high-minded discussion right so to derail the discussion in some ways that's a hundred percent that's a little hundred percent microcosm of what i've seen um so it's interesting that you were there in kabul at this at this time, this transition time, um, I, I'm I'm sure you're familiar with the Smith Munt Act and the uh, Obama era adjustment uh, allowing psychological operations within the United States. Um, what what little rabbit holes have you come come around with uh, threat reduction and and this Smith Munt Act adjustment? Um, well, I've known, I, I think it was Newsweek came out with an article saying there was like a 60,000 some odd civilian army of signature, is it signature reduction specialists or people out there? It's basically like a private intelligence there, there you um, go. operated th- by the government. There you go. I think um, it's signature reduction. Thank you for the correct terminology. Yeah, it's, um, they astroturf a lot, so they'll create fake profiles. They'll create fake online identities. They'll popularize them. Um, they'll co-opt other people who are out there. I think recently it was British intelligence. We're paying leftist YouTubers. I don't, I don't know who these people are by name. I know there's one guy who people always promote as like some leftist, you know, intellectual who can't ever be wrong. I think his name is Vosh or Vosh, however you say it. Um, guy looks like a total (laughs) idiot to me, but, um, I guess he gets touted as like this intellectual and him and like a few other people, allegedly received money from, I believe it was British intelligence, MI5 or MI6, uh, to sort of push propaganda, vaccine propaganda and pro-COVID propaganda. Um, so it's like, you know, it's it's hard to trust people. And it's, it's I know personally, like I've worked with civilian affairs. Um, I've worked, you know, with some people who you, I guess you can call them psyops. They don't wear the name tags and on their uniform and this and that. Um, and I, I've talked to people, I've talked to military intelligence analysts, I've talked to all sorts of people and gotten different perspectives. And, you know, I, I just, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with manipulating people and what they think and using that. I don't like psychological warfare. I don't like controlling people's minds and thoughts. That's one of the biggest things that bothered me. Um, Cause every time they said hearts and minds, hearts and minds, it's like, you're just conditioning you're you're socially engineering people to to agree with what you want them to think and i just i that always soured me Um, especially when i was in afghanistan it was just like you always heard hearts and minds hearts and minds it's like you know you're driving around their town in an armored vehicle aiming a mark 19 at them 
and it's like, oh, but we gave them a toothbrush. It's like, so they, you know, they should like us. It's, like, you know, they'll give like these little hygiene kits out. And, and it's just stupid. And you're, fun- and you're funding the oppressor that you are supposed to be liberating them from. 100%. It's- and I will say this on the record. I've said it before. Um, I know I was a Zogbot. Zogbot meaning Zionist occupied government, like operative, like mindless slave. Like I realized that I, at the time I joined when I was 17. So I didn't really, you know, I, it, it wasn't all there in my mind as far as like, who's the controllers and I'm serving the evil. Um, but I fully, I don't want to say renounce, but I'm not proud of anything I did. I don't think what I did was good. I think all I did was hurt people. All I did was, you know, go to someone else's country and make their lives more difficult. So um, I do, I do look back on that as one of those things that I'm not proud of. And I hope I can grow as a person from, um, because it's just one of those things. It's like, you realize that you were part of the problem and you have to take responsibility for, yeah, you might've just signed on the lines, but you yourself did that. You made that conscious decision. No one else did. Um, So I do acknowledge that. And I just figured I'd say that too. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, especially when you are a a young developing person, and um, that is a a major platform for people to go to to um, gain discipline, learn skills, and you know you're signing yourself up. You're volunteering, and unfortunately, um, it doesn't seem like uh, it's being directed by the will of the people. It's being directed by this. Um, bureaucratic class, this corrupt bureaucratic class, this unelected corrupt bureaucratic class that's this permanent state within our federal government. Um, and then all state governments have their own little microcosm of this um, effect. It's, it's, it's troubling. And, and I agree with you. It's, you know, once you take responsibility, then the action, the action after becomes more um, there's more integrity, there's more honesty, there's more positive intent. Um, and it's, it's important for each person to kind of take that step, um, that step of responsibility, which is, I'm a libertarian at heart, and, and that's one of the cores of uh, libertarian ideals is personal responsibility. Even if it can get twisted by a lot of people, I'm, I'm very much, I believe in that. And, that, and in that principle, um, it, it's kind of the uh, get off my lawn, and I promise I won't come on your lawn if if uh, if you don't invite me. Um, it's it's yeah. a, it's a way of treating people as if as the way you want want to be treated. Um, all right, let's try to move this forward then. So, uh, Kabul psychological operation Smith Munt Act. Um, your your platform that you've created. Now we talked about Clown World Dating, which is your ambitious entrepreneurial effort. Um, you also have this uh, video platform called Chad Chaddington. Now I found you on Odyssey. What other platforms are you on? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> that's that's kind of funny because. I started initially on YouTube, um, but I got censored very early on. So I kind of had to do what I thought was best and branch off just in case they deleted my channel. And I went to, I think it was BitChute first and then brand new tube. I was on 3Speak, um, Odyssey, Brighteon, You Get Tube, uh, <laughs> 153 News, um, and just recently Telegram. So what we're using right now to talk, it, it's the last platform that I've joined, which I've had the most success on, funnily enough. Um, but yeah, I have a very decentralized kind of fractured audience because I was censored early on and decided to break away. But people weren't really making alternative accounts at different platforms yet. So it's like, yeah, they might browse BitChute, but they haven't taken the time to sign up with an email and actually, you know, subscribe to somebody. So it's hard to know what your audience reach I, is I, I can't, sometimes. I can't do it. I don't, I don't know how you do that. I, um, I've moved away from YouTube. I'm on Odyssey. This, uh, this podcast uh, will be on Odyssey. But the time it takes uh, to upload, to create the descriptions, to do all of that, to be a part of all those platforms, um, I don't know how you do it. That's it's kind of it's kind of oh, an, it's very tedious. Like you have to. I'll take a thing, I'll upload it, I'll write the description, copy and paste, you know, the sources and all that, and then go to each platform individually. 
I have to put the title in, the description, the video, the thumbnail, the tags, and then do that for each site. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't have to do it ultimately with that many. But, you know, even if it's just one person, like like YouGetTube, for instance, like a lot of people probably don't even know what YouGetTube is. Yep. But I said, hey, you yep. know, I'll give it a shot. And even if it's just one person, right, that's one more person who might have that light bulb go off in their mind that they may maybe otherwise wouldn't have if they didn't watch the video, you know? Yeah, I've never heard of a few of those platforms. So uh, that just speaks to your um, entrepreneurial discipline, just in the way that you will go through those tedious tasks to get your your show out there. So it's, again, very commendable. Um, so join Telegram. Um, that I've also moved to Telegram. I'm still hanging on on Twitter. Uh, I was censored recently uh, with YouTube, um, but I do I do have trouble with with some people in our movement where they they don't seem to. We almost need to marry like our convictions with our actions, and it seems like everybody who thinks Google is an evil company will still go and use Google. And they think that, you know, oh, they, yeah, they, absolutely. they might say, oh, I'm fighting within the system. Um, but really, they're still addicted to the likes. They're still addicted to the to the little to the views and all of that. Um, I, I enjoy having my own platform, the conservative hippie.com. So I've got my central hub is like my um, is my website, my blog website that I've created. So I don't I don't worry necessarily. It's more about marketing that. And then when they go there, they can get the podcast, they can get the video versus spreading out. Um, but it's it's difficult in this in this way if you don't have a bot army or if you don't have some psychological operation on your side. A lot of times you can be um, roaming around in the dark without a flashlight. It's um it's really hard and without signals coming back um, that say your message is being received. Um, it's a it's a very difficult thing, and I commend you for um, such a strong effort. Um, well, what's What's a recent topic um, that people might be interested in that the uh, Mockingbird media is not telling them about uh, that you've that you've done videos on recently that you want to make us aware of? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So the UN recently passed a resolution where they adopted, I think it's the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance. That's the organization's name. Uh, their definition of Holocaust denial and their definition of anti-Semitism, uh, because most people, if you've ever heard the word anti-Semitism, it's, it's had a million different definitions. Uh, some people are like, it means this. No, it means this. And even in the Jewish community, there's a lot of debate what the word actually means and you know who it's supposed to apply to. Um, and I specifically criticize things like Zionism. Like I, I have my gripes with Israel. I think the, the founding of the country was done under ulterior motives by, you know, people like the Rothschild family who own most of the banks and media and all that stuff. So I, I, I don't trust it for that reason. Um, but it has implications, looming implications for freedom of speech. So they recently passed the resolution and it, 193 member countries, by the way, um, were involved in this resolution, like, you know, getting it out there. The United States is one of the biggest supporters of it. And um, where we have freedom of speech, supposedly, right? And Iowa, I said in my video at the time, I'm like, watch, you're going to start seeing legislation passed in the United States because of this. Um, and in the resolution, they were asking that social media companies and things like that start tackling anti-Semitism and Holocaust denial, like using that as an excuse to censor speech. So in Iowa, the other day, I put a video out where, um, sorry, my I get some water real quick. Maybe we can cut this no, out. No, no, no problem. I'll I'll interrupt here. So I hear what you're saying, and um, so UN resolution. So our global overlords who are pushing us towards new world order have many uh, proxy organizations, if you will. So there's the UN, there's the WEF, and they just flow between each other, um, instituting different policies, all with this goal of pushing towards. Uh, this this new world order, which is basically um, glo global overlords and all sovereignty is 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 washed away, and you're seeing evidence of a policy pushed 
through the UN, and it's cropping up within the United States that's built on censorship at heart. So I heard what you were saying, and I'm like, okay, well, what's wrong with denying uh, or defining um, Holocaust deniers or anti-Semitism? Can you give us that link to where, you know, something, again, they, they like to use these terms that at face value seem like these altruistic endeavors, um, but we've seen time and time again, right? So we've we've gone we've covered two two ideas where we've seen pharmaceutical industry um, in the way that they lie, and we've seen uh, government proxies in the way they lie. Now try to help us see where defining this altruistic um, um, idea to stamp out anti-Semitism and to um, to push back against, quote-unquote, Holocaust deniers. H- how does this lead to, to, to a troubling event in our country? Yep. Um, so since that has passed recently, um, a video that I just did a few days ago, Iowa, they, they're trying to pass legislation where they're going to adopt the definition put forth that was adopted in the UN resolution by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance of Holocaust Denial and Anti-Semitism. Now, if you actually look at the definition of what they say, um, some of the things they include, like just criticizing um, Jewish influence could become illegal, just questioning any aspect of the Holocaust, not simply saying that, oh, you know, I, I don't believe that it happened, because maybe you don't have any information, you haven't researched it, or maybe you just don't care. It's it's so long ago, you, you, you I don't even think about it. I, I have no opinion one way or the other. Um, if you're a person that says, well, I just disagree with this one aspect, my research has led me to believe that only this many people died in the six camps, according to the Red Cross's own numbers, or something like that. Um, you could actually go to jail for saying that because we have freedom of speech, but it could be classified as hate speech, and it could be like a hate crime, under that definition. Now, I don't know if Iowa is going to pass that legislation, but we recently we saw, and there's been a lot of talk of anti-Semitism because of this, um, the synagogue situation in Colleyville, Texas, where a guy, I believe from England, if I'm not mistaken, yes. came over to the United States, um, and it had something to do with some argument about his sister or the sister of some other guy i don't know yeah, uh, uh, the whole thing just kind of seems stupid to me a a, pris- but, um, a prisoner uh, a, a prisoner martyr if you will a sister was used not not like blood sister but sister in a movement uh continue on so yeah yes you got yeah, that yeah, right yeah. from from england um, immigrant yes yep so when he died and the the standoff ended and no one was hurt um my first thought was oh this kind of seems staged in a way to kind of push out a narrative Um, Because, as people should know, the head of DHS, Alejandro Mayorkas, is Jewish. Uh, The head of the DOJ, uh, Marilyn Garlic, whatever his name is, he's Jewish. Um, So the Department of Homeland Security actually gives grants, right? Uh, They call them security grants, like hardening infrastructure for nonprofits and things like that. Um, And actually, 94% percent of those grants go to Jewish groups. That's actually something people can look up themselves. Um, it's it's insane, actually. Um, and this article that I read recently, this guy named Daniel Bogard, he's a rabbi in St. Louis, Minnesota. And um, because of the synagogue attack in Texas, he gave an interview about how synagogues are kind of not safe. And he feels like he actually said this in the interview. He said that his First Amendment, like his group's First Amendment, feels like it's under attack because everyone else has a Second Amendment, and that Second Amendment is, quote, gone wild. Um, and the Second Amendment itself actually ends up being a Jewish tax. This guy actually said that. Um, but the funny thing is, I got him on the phone and I actually talked to him, and I asked him about these Homeland Security grants. And he told me that they've actually received them. And then I looked them up and they've received almost a hundred thousand dollars um, of Homeland Security grants, again, of what? which 94%, yep, 94% what? go to Jewish organizations. Uh, you can look that up. That's on the forward.com. It's a Jewish publication. They put that story out about the 94%, and that was in 2014, I believe. So okay, um, but so- yeah, this guy, he had the audacity to say that our second amendment is a is a Jewish tax and it threatens their first amendment to practice worship safely. 
um, when they're getting our tax dollars to pay for their security and Homeland Security grants, an agency led by a Jewish man. Wow. Okay. That's quite a little... And nothing against Jewish people, by the way. I want to be clear. This isn't your everyday Jewish person on the street. This is Zionism. This is political influence over our government by the Israeli government using agents within our own government that aren't loyal to the United States. It's very, it's a very interesting wormhole to go down. I, I always avoid it. Um, I, I'm silenced and cen- a lot of people do. A I'm, lot of people do. I'm silenced and censored. Um, just, just out of fear, just out of fear uh, for the exact reasons that you're kind of s- saying that, um, you know, even in Iowa, they've proposed legislation that's so broad that it's probable you would have just broke that law in the future if it were, if you, if we were in Iowa and that law <laughs> was passed, right? Is that the way yeah. I'm supposed to, uh, uh, understand that law is you just, you just possibly infringed upon that law that would be created. Yes, yes. Like okay. simply questioning, like saying, hey, why is, um, you know, why are all the media companies owned by this or whatever? And, and you yeah. actually say things that might get you thrown in prison in certain countries already, but not the United States. And that's what's troubling because we have freedom of speech and the United States was backing this resolution, which directly infringes freedom of speech. And in that resolution, it, it's non-binding, they say, sort of like Agenda 21. It's non-binding, but wink, wink, you better do it anyway, or <laughs> we'll, we'll kill your politicians from the local level up. You know, they, they make it so it's binding. And they were expected, these 193 member states were expected to adopt domestic legislation to reflect the adopting of that as the official definition for those terms. Yeah, in your, in your video, there is one quote within the article that was so clown world. Uh, it was it was it was the most beautiful part of your video. I think it was something to where um, they said that, that this this of course is not intended or will not like restrict freedom of speech, even though it's literally <laughs> yeah. a, you know a law that restricts feed, freedom of speech. Um, quite yeah. quite interesting. And I try to avoid these topics out of just self censorship because it is so convoluted. And I believe the convolution is part of the protection, right? It's such a broad blanket that they can throw out these um, terms where you're just simply trying to understand um, CPAC, for example, and um, the Israeli lobby within the United States. It's like, hey, I just have a couple questions because Israel is a country. How are they allowed to um, operate um, with impunity in terms of the lobbying dollars that they bring in, um, where there's rules set up against that. Oh, hey, I've got a quick question. Um, hey, why why are some of our representatives why why do they have dual citizenship? And yeah, Michael Shertoff is a great example of that. The guy who co-wrote the Patriot Act and was the head of Homeland Security. Um, a lot of people don't know he's a dual Israeli citizen. His mother, Livia Eisen, was actually the first hostess for El Al Airlines, uh, which actually led the import of Yemeni Jews. Um, I think it was Operation Magic Carpet. They call it Operation on Wings of Eagles as well, uh, where they brought, I think it was 45,000 Yemeni Jews about into Israel uh, or Palestine, I should say. Um, and it started a whole war and everything. And his his family's like deeply tied, I believe, to the Mossad. Um but yeah, just crazy. And, and yeah, so it it almost squelches those types of legitimate, honest, integral questions um, about people and events. Um, I do try to get. I, I like the way that you spoke about um, your your word that you go with is Zionism. Um, some people are so deep down the rabbit hole. They've taught me about uh, even factions within that, like the uh, I believe the the term is Khazar um, history. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's such a weird rabbit hole where you feel like there are um, cow pies everywhere that you could possibly step in and get it on your shoes. And then someone can point at you and say, oh, you were using the word shoes in the wrong way. And oh, uh, I get that all the time. Like people are like, no, you don't mean you don't mean Jew. You don't mean Zionist. You mean Khazar mafia. You mean, uh, you know, Edomite, whatever. And I'm like, look, 
it's, it's kind of like a catch-all thing. Like who I believe ultimately is in control of everything is one family, the Rothschild family. Um, and it's multiple other families which married into that family, but ultimately them and whoever's behind them, whether it's human or non-human, whether it's demonic, whether it's aliens, whatever, um, you could argue there's something behind them. But yeah, it's 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 just um, well, it's convoluted. It's very convoluted. Well, let's end with a with a bit of uh, specu- speculation, okay? Because I've had this conversation, and I'm trying to understand. A lot of people think uh, the world is ruled by Davos, the Davos crowd, and the World Economic Forum, and Klaus Schwab. And I always say, no, no, no. There's levels above that. You're you're literally talking about getting to the heart of it, the the all seeing eye, the top of the pyramid. And you're saying Rothschild. And I, I understand that because, of course, the central bankers are um, are up there. What what yeah. I want to push back on, and and where I where I go with my investigation that is often um, hidden is. Uh, it's hidden in plain sight, and it's the royals. It's the royals. the The largest landowner of the world in the world, I believe, is Queen Elizabeth. Um, and so, I'm wondering: um, Do they work together in this system, or is one owned by the other? Um, is is this a like you talked about marriage? We've seen um, different ways marriage is used between royal families. I believe. Um, you know, you could go back historically, and Queen Elizabeth is uh, that bloodline is actually from another um, area, and uh, they're, they're entwined somehow with the Dutch royal family. And it gets, you know, I almost need somebody on the show that that's an expert and has written books on this matter because it's all it's all speculation. But what do you think about what do you think about my push that the that the royals are right up there, um, if not above the central bankers? Um, well, that's the thing. You have the Windsors, um, which are involved in the ownership of pretty much most of the major assets, but that's in league with families like the Rothschilds. Um, so if you actually like trace like who owns the Federal Reserve, for example, it's the it's Goldman Sachs, Rockefellers, uh, Kuhn Loeb's, Rothschilds, Lehman's, uh, Warburg's, Lazard's. And there's another one, too. I can't remember. But um, I know the Warburgs married into the Rothschilds, and, and they have control over Goldman Sachs as well. Um, and then you also have the, the major banks which own everything. So you have J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citigroup, uh, Wells Fargo. Those banks are all ultimately owned by BlackRock and Vanguard. Um, those two investment firm companies or investment holding companies, whatever they're called, Um it, it all traces back basically to the Rothschilds. They own everything um, through Vanguard itself, which owns BlackRock and BlackRock and Vanguard pretty much own everything, you know, including the banks. Um, and then those banks own the corporations, you know, and the media. Um, so it's like that pyramid structure. It all goes up and the Windsors are in there. The Royal English royalty is in there, but I don't know if it's one of those things like people argue too about the, uh, Jesuits. They're like, no, it's not the Rothschilds. It's the Jesuits or, oh, they're, they're different groups working together. And there's actually factions fighting within each other. Um, I don't, I don't know so much about that. I, I think, I think they're all working pretty much in sync in lockstep, like we were saying earlier, um, and I don't know if she has more involvement, you know, or not, or if she's on an equal playing field with the family. Um, but I look at it this way too. So people want to talk about like the left and right paradigm, like, oh, I follow this politician or I follow this politician. I say all the time, it doesn't matter because politicians work for what? They work for money. Okay, who prints the money? Well, the Federal Reserve is private. It's not actually part of our government. Um, and ultimately it's owned by eight families, including the Rothschilds. Um, so when, when people are working for money and those people control money, not even that they dictate what money is. Um, those are the people who are really in control, you know, because politicians, they're just filling a spot. And if they're not doing what they're told, um, or they're not able to be compromised, they just simply get rid of that person one way or another. Um, and then they put their person in. Uh, the World Economic Forum, IMF, all those things are all tools of this, you know, family group of families. Um, and the Windsors are definitely in there. But again, I, if it's all on like one equal playing field and they all sort of agree, hey, let's not fight each other. That way we all maintain control. 
um, or they're all secretly fighting and it's like a Game of Thrones thing where everyone's backstabbing each other. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think about that all the time, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting rabbit hole and one that's obscured by um, hundreds of years, hundreds of years of um, psyops, uh, uh, control narratives, uh, controlled opposition. Um, it's very difficult to get any um, verifiable, accurate information out of it. And I think that that's, that's what's intended. And um, just you speaking about politicians and the way that the matrix money has corrupted our system, um, it's so antithetical to what it's supposed to be when somebody um, is elected by the people of, let's say, a region, Right. So Southwest Washington, where I'm at, and we elect a congressman, they are supposed to go and represent the people. That's who they're beholden to. And nowadays, um, it's just completely obvious that we need, I think Tori says recently, has talked about NASCAR jackets, right? We almost need to see the sponsorship money um, on their jackets. And Oh, yeah, that's such a great idea. I say that, too, sometimes. Like... (laughs) I think that's such a great idea to do, and it would just be so transparent. That's why they would never do it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But whereas they're supposed to represent uh, the people in the in the regions they come from, and and built within that would still be some sort of mechanism of corruption, right? So you know, let's say a wealthy family, large uh, employer within a region might have more sway over a politician than say uh, a housewife in a small town. But at least at that level, um, it can be more, um, you can find influence uh, within that small paradigm uh, versus you see it uh, for decades, they've just been elected, and it's as if they're not even from a particular area. They're just elected into a club. Um, They're in lockstep with uh, their particular party, and it's it's all just a show. Um, And I'm really hoping... Uh, you've just joined Telegram. I've joined Telegram fairly recently, um, and I'm seeing it as uh, a mili- military-grade tool of organization. Um, and, and the Save America, I don't want to call it a party, the Save America movement seems to be organizing on Telegram. And it's, it's a beautiful thing where uh, plumbers and electricians and um, housewives and domestic engineers, they're all uh, finding their voice and they're finding their responsibility within the system and they're um, volunteering and serving, uh, serving each other. And so if we could just... You know, the way our country is is uh, formed, if we could just get um, regular, honest people with integrity into those positions, I could see us really starting to steer this ship back to the republic that it was intended. Oh, absolutely. I, I hope so. I don't know if you just got you were speaking about the telegram thing and it reminded me what we talked about earlier. Um, I don't know if you got the link I just sent you. Oh, no. Let me uh, let me try to uh, find that really quick. Link. I've been seeing it make the rounds recently about the uh, founder or creator of Telegram. His name is Pavel Durov. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Okay. And he's, let me guess, he's, uh, he's most likely Russian. Uh, <laughs> I believe so, yeah. Sounds so, pretty Russian. Well, and I've, I've been fighting this one my entire life, if you know, want to go down broad broad rabbit holes, but I think it's fairly clear at this point that one of the freest countries in the world is Russia. It's seeming like uh, they're almost like the new America, like they're positioned to be what we were in a way. It's very odd. I've I've wondered why, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a friend that, that I would chat with and I would, I would try to uh, break the Break the mockingbird media gaze that he was that he was finding during the Trump administration, and in one of those is why aren't we friends with Russia? I mean, if we if we refer to ourselves as like this Anglo-Saxon uh, Protestant uh, community, right? Even though we're multicultural and and um, I don't need to couch it. Um, if you look at Russia, they have deep Christian faith built within their societal structure. 
And it's it's strange that these two Christian nations, you know, can't get along. And it's all it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all uh, opposition controlled opposition narrative for the grift yeah. for the grift of siphoning off our uh, tax money. We you know we are a tax farm. I I am. I a- was just going to say that. I was just going to say. Have you ever seen the uh, the video? I think it's by Stephen Molyneux. Um, like how the human race is controlled or the story of your enslavement or something like that. Um, I, I appreciate- we're all just like a human farm. Like it's a, we're a tax farm, USA tax farm, Russia tax farm, pick, pick a country. It doesn't matter. Um, ultimately their sovereignty is, is under one umbrella, you know, which isn't their control. It's someone else's control. Yeah. It's, um, ah, it's depressing. See, I was going to try to find hope. Uh, in this in this podcast, where I I said I was going to do an hour, we're coming right up on an hour. I was hoping you were going to draw my story of the last week out. I haven't been able to share that publicly yet, but people close to me uh, saw it and experienced it, and it was uh, it was fairly amazing. So, with that being said, I'm going to have you back, or I'm going to be on your platform. I really. Um, am I the first person to contact you in this way? I had another friend of mine, uh, Spirit of Admitos, who is on um, Odyssey, and I sent him a, a, a video message saying hello and introducing myself, and he said I was the first person that had ever uh, contacted him um, in that way. And I just, I'm telling you, the more that we reach out, link arms, learn about each other, uh, find trust and camaraderie with each other, um, the stronger this alternative, fact-based, um, clear-eyed movement uh, will become. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're not the first person to contact me. I've More recently, I've had a lot of more requests for interviews. Um, you're the first person that recently that I've actually done one with um, but I've had requests for like collaborations and things. I've, I've talked to a few other bigger people, but nothing ever came to fruition with it. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I still get taken back sometimes by the amount of reach I've had, you know, where it's like, uh, people know who I am. Well, I mean, you know, my pseudonym, whatever, yeah. but you know, like they've seen my videos. I actually put a video out, um, a few days ago. It was called Chad Chaddington video inception. Like if you've seen the movie inception, the, the concept, a dream within a dream within a dream. Yes. Um, I was noticing my videos were getting mirrored so often that people weren't giving me credit, like saying, Oh, I got it from this guy. It was like, they were getting it from another channel saying, here's the credit to where I got it. And then you click that, it brings you to another channel. They're giving credit to another channel, which leads you to another channel. <laughs> None of it ties back to me. And I'm like, man, I'm having a pretty big reach. I'm like, this is pretty cool. It's it's very um, interesting. It's isn't surreal. It? It's very interesting. Um, I, I tell people all the time. I started a platform called uh, Stoner Horoscopes, and uh, for years uh, we would publish these Stoner Horoscopes, and never. I, I mean, you would think that that no one was reading it. It was fairly depressing, but just kept going. I believed in the platform. I believed in uh, what I was doing with the publishing of it. Well, I started a, uh, I started a podcast. I started uh, reading it and, and, and performing these stoner horoscopes, and I was shocked at the numbers I was seeing of the people that were uh, listening to it. And it was in and if I had given up in like the first year, I mean, I went years thinking that nobody was reading these things. If I had given up, then I would have never gotten to that point where I actually saw uh, the, the 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 amount of people I was reaching. My conservative hippie podcast is ex- very similar in the fact that I was using um, these. I, I'd never care about statistics. I just do it. But I'm human, right? So every once in a while, I would wonder. And through the statistical methods, I saw um, the numbers were extremely small. Well, finally, finally, I took the publishing away from Google and I and I started self-publishing my RSS feed. And so there I had raw I had raw statistical numbers. I was humbled and blown away by the statistics that were clearly there the entire time. I just didn't know. And um, again, if I had quit, if I had stopped taking those steps to step 1,000, 
um, been dismayed. It's almost like that's built into the system, um, um, this uh, opacity of uh, statistics and the manipulation of the statistics. Um, I don't have any evidence of that, uh, just pure anecdotal. But again, trying to encourage people, if you want to start a platform like Chad Chaddington is, Kyle is uh, with his clown world dating. Uh, if you want to start a platform like I did with stoner horoscopes, it doesn't matter what what your idea is, it's about taking those steps. And the next thing you know, you're off on an adventure. And if you have pure intention in your heart, that adventure is going to lead you to uh, fulfillment of life, in my opinion. So maybe you're listening to this and, and the word NPC resonates with you in a way that makes you uncomfortable. Um, I would say, you know, start acting. Don't you know? Get off, get get out of the complaining paradigm and start acting. Volunteer. Um, just just start acting with pure integrity and positivity in your intent, um, and and it'll all come. Everything will come. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did want to say though, you kind of made me think. I wanted to talk about that story with the AI a little bit. It's like you can find your true reach with the new AI that's coming out. You were telling me. Uh, you had a pretty exciting adventure. I, I did, uh, but we we've come to the end. I've got uh, I've got other things that uh, we're gonna do. I just I just wanted to keep this to an hour. I've got other things that I've got to get to today. So it'll come out when the time is right. I guess you know the the universal wave uh, will provide. Just have to trust and follow. Um, and today was more about you, and I love that. I, I want more people to get to know you uh, because. I'm a little more open when I come come across people. I'm I'm fairly uh, trusting early, um, and I, I come across people in this movement, like you said, you know, where you're skeptical and you see all these agents and you see, you know, the ugliness of people, and so it makes it hard. You almost have to do this quick analysis of people, you know, co- you come across to, to understand where they come from. And for some reason, from the moment um, I saw your video channel, I've talked to you, I've, I've really appreciated your um, integrity and the way that you go about things. Oh, I appreciate that. Likewise, you seem like a uh, truly genuine guy who's actually trying to do the right thing um, and not just sitting around, like you're actually taking action, you're being very proactive, you're reaching out to people, you're trying to build a community, you're trying to build some cohesion um, and not a lot of people are doing that and focusing on solutions, which is what you're trying to do. Um, and also be an entrepreneur. You're working for yourself. You're doing your own thing. You're not beholden to any man. You get to, you know, kind of express yourself how you like. And I think that's how more people should be. They should adopt that, you know, type of entrepreneurial spirit, take it upon themselves and be the change they want to see, you know? Absolutely. It doesn't, it doesn't start off as an empire. Uh, start off as a micro business, st- turn a hobby into a business, and then you're off and going on the adventure. All right. All right. Uh, it's Kyle, right? No, Corey. Corey. It's all right. I said, no. <laughs> it's all right. I said Kyle earlier. I'm so used to uh, the Chad Chaddington. Corey, thank you so much. Well, I was going to say, you could just take my name, replace it with another fake name. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> a, a dream within a dream within a dream. Uh, a pseudonym, exactly, a pseudonym yeah. within a pseudonym. Um, thank you so much for coming on. We'll, uh, we'll be in contact again, and uh, I'll leave all the links in the show notes to uh, where he can be reached, and uh, appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate it as well. You have a good day. Let's be friends. We're all on this cosmic spaceship together. Subscribe and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. Visit our sponsors, SmokeAndJays.com. Everything for your smoke and lifestyle. StonerHoroscopes.com. Adora Zen dishes cosmic vibes for the stoner at heart. KickFromTheSpot.com. Soccer is American.